Last time, yesterday when we talked about Thanksgiving and Hakor Satov, we talked about how fundamental and important it is. Here you go. Oh, there's one over there. Yeah. Several. Several, okay. How basic it is, and we used as a, a, a source the al that explains the reason why the world was created and because of the mitzvah of Bikurim. So he said, why Bikurim? al explains that Bikurim is is really the source of the concept of Hakor Satov. For that reason, we allow workers that normally aren't allowed to be mavatl from their work, even to greet people. But when it comes to greeting those that brought and paraded their Bikurim, they would stand and greet them as they marched by, as they paraded by. Because Hakor Satov is fundamental, but it goes beyond that, it goes to the very essence of creation itself. And we explained how atheism results from a lack of Hakor Satov, based on the Medrash Tanchuma that Rebbeinu B'chai brings down, that if someone is, um, denies kindness that his fellow man gives him, then he comes to denial of God himself. As we see, denial of Yosef, and then by the end he says that I don't know who Hashem is. So I explained the philosophy behind that. Very simple. We don't have any concept of what God is. We only know of God through His actions, through His activities, through His deeds. Deny God's actions, you deny God. If you can't see, if you can't bring yourself to seeing the kindness of Hashem, then you don't know who God is. It's interesting, even the words, Asher lo yoda es Yosef, he didn't know Yosef. What do you mean he didn't know Yosef? Historically, he must have known who Yosef was. Asher lo yoda es Yosef means he didn't know or recognize or give any credit to the kindness of Yosef. In fact, if we would to look in the um, the Rashi on that pasuk, Vayokamela Chodosh, Asher Lo Yoda, it's on page one fifty four, one fifty one. I'm sorry, Shmos, Shmos. First uh, page of Chumash Shmos, page 151. So it says, What does it mean that he didn't know Yosef? So Rashi brings down, He made himself, he pretended as if he didn't know. So what does it mean he didn't know Yosef? He denied the kindness that Yosef did, and by doing that, you're in effect denying Yosef himself. You're denying his existence. Denial of what Yosef did is the equivalent of, of denial of the person himself. Yosef, what did he do? For Egypt, he did it for himself, for the Jews. It's like nowadays when people talk about the Jewish people and you start denying any credit 
that the people have done, you're really denying the very essence of their existence. In the case of God, it's more so. If you don't see Anochi Hashem Mitzrayim, you're denying Anochi Hashem We once explained from the Rosh a little bit differently. Mitzrayim is denial of Hashgacha. Denial of Hashgacha for a Jew is the equivalent of atheism. That's what the Rosh says. What we're saying now, in effect, though, is something a little differently. Denial of Hashem's kindness is a denial of God, because we can't relate to God other than through his deeds. The person that is not makertov, makertov is not just not being thankful. It means you don't recognize that which you should be thankful for. We talked about the idea of hakor satov as being the ability to recognize goodness, to see goodness. Not just about gratitude, but about seeing goodness itself. So therefore, what happens is that that philosophically you will wind up denial, denying God if you deny the actions of God and the kindnesses of God and the debt of God. As a result, we said two things. Number one, and we gave the example of literally Beratius itself, the Big Bang. Those people that want to deny the debt that we owe Hashem or what God does, they deny God, they become atheists. We said Stephen Hawking recently came out with the fact that that Bria Yeshmeyain came by itself, not the result of God Himself. And therefore it comes out that the very voracious comes from a deep-rooted desire, as Rabbi Khan Wasserman says, that Minus comes from the lave, comes from a desire to not feel responsibility to God. We gave the example from this week's parsha also, Parsha's told us, where it says, Avram hold as Yitzchak, that the people would rather attribute the miracle of Sarah's birth to the parentage, to the fatherhood of Avimelech, right, as Rashi says at the beginning of this week's parsha, rather than give credit to Avram. Why? They're already accepting the miracle of Sarah's birth. It wasn't miraculous for Avram to be a father. The miracle was that Sarah was able to have a child. Avram fathered um, seven other children besides Yitzchak, as we see in last week's parsha. So Avram was able to be a father. Why deny Avram the parentage of Yitzchak? Why give the credit of the miracle of Sarah's getting pregnant at age 90 to Avimelech? The Teretz is because there are ramifications to saying that Avram had such a miracle. There were no ramifications in their minds to um, saying that Yitzchak to say that Avimelech was the father. The world goes on. You have no responsibility. So the denial aspect that people have, the kfira, results from a desire to be kofir because you don't want to have any debt of gratitude. But there was no denial of the other children that were given to Hagar afterwards. Right, right. No, but that's Hagar. No, but the point is that the, it says the Leitzonei Hador were saying that Sarah got pregnant from Avimelech. Why wouldn't they want to give the credit to Avram. Avram was capable of fatherhood as much as anybody else. The Territ says that they'd rather say the miracle of Sarah was the impregnation by Avimelech rather than Avram. Because there's no consequences to saying that Hashem gave Sarah a child from Avimelech. There are consequences that you have to listen to Avram's message if Avram had such a miracle happen to him. People would say, yeah, it's a miracle, but it's somebody else's miracle. 
It's like saying that how did man come here, this intelligent design? Well, it came from some other world because aliens came by and seeded this planet. Why would you want to attribute intelligent design for those that say that to aliens rather than to God? Because there's no consequences to say that aliens did it. There are consequences to saying that God did it. So therefore denial comes, stems not from a philosophy, but from psychology. And the same psychology that is involved in Hakor Satov to human beings, which is a certain Am Novel Velochochem, as the Ramban says, Am Novel is Elu Apikursim, because people that are novel and are incapable of Hakor Satov to human beings will automatically deny God's kindnesses to them. So therefore the same, the same Midah that leads to a lack of Hakor Satov to humans it's the same midah. And since all atheism stems from that midah, so the very lack of the ability to have Hakoras Atov to be this novel leads directly to atheism. Therefore, Bereshis, Bishvil Bikurim Nevo'olam, can be understood in its most literal sense. That the very concept of Bria Yesh Me'ayin is literally dependent on the ability to have Hakor Satov. And that's Bikurim. So Bishvil Bikurim, and that's Bereshit's Bishvil Torah, Bishvil Yisrael. We mentioned how the very essence of a Jew is to be able to wake up in the morning and say, Moda'ani. Saying Moda'ani is like saying, I'm a Jew. Yehudiyano, I'm a Jew. The, the ability... They have that um, that that adinus hanefesh, that sensitivity for akor satov lies at the very heart of Judaism. But besides that, we also said that the whole avoda, our whole obligation of avoda, we talked about the rebbeinu that says to be somech gul tefila is the inyan of akor satov. That's why you're ben olam habo. But besides being a ben olam habo for akor satov, but the very foundation of the Torah. Is built on Anochi Hashem Olakech Asher Otzei Sichom Eretz Mitzrayim Kilibenei Yisrael Avodim Avodaihem Asher Otzei Sichom Eretz Mitzrayim. What does it mean to be the servant of Hashem? It means that we recognize Yitzias Mitzrayim. So it comes out that the very foundation of the whole Torah, which is our debt of Avoda to be Avdei Hashem, is is contingent on our ability to recognize that Asher Otzei Sichom Eretz Mitzrayim. If you look at Bikurim, what is Bikurim? Bikurim begins by the farmer not only giving thanks for the grain, but going back to the whole history of Kal Yisrael, going back to the very beginning, to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim itself. So the very foundation of the Torah, of Avodas Hashem, is contingent on the ability to be Makir Tov. But that's what we explained, that the idea of Hakor Satov is the ability to appreciate goodness, to see it, to recognize it, to acknowledge it, to admit it, and ultimately to appreciate it. From there comes thanksgiving, and once you have that thanksgiving, that's what makes you a Jew. So we have to develop the midah of Hakor Satov, which is, like the words imply, not just about gratitude, to say thank you in a formalistic fashion, but to see the goodness and appreciate it, and be able to, like art appreciation, to be a connoisseur of goodness. And therefore that runs across the board. It has nothing to do with whether it's to God or to human beings. It's a midah. It's a truna. 
It's a character trait that a person has to develop this sensitivity to have that feeling, and it goes across the board, whether it's to your fellow man, Ben Adam Lechavero, or Ben Adam Lemokim. But what exactly is this? And how far does it go? That's what I'd like to explore today. This is a brief synopsis of yesterday. Let's take a look now at what I consider to be a very um, important foundational idea of Hakor Satov. If you look on the side too, the Gemara Brochus Daf Nun Chesam Aleph. The Gemara over there talks about different brachas that people are supposed to make Bircha Shevach to Hashem when they see unusual things. So the Gemara Nun Daf Nun Chesam Aleph talks about making the bracha when you see throngs of Jews. When you see the multitudes of Jews, you're supposed to make a bracha. And the bracha is Chacham HaRozim. But the Gemara says that when Ben Zoma would stand on one of the steps of Harabais and he was able to look down and see the throngs of Jews, I'm sure you get that feeling sometimes if you go to the Kosal and you go there Chalmoid when, when they're doing Birchas Khanim and you have a good vantage point on top to see the throngs of Jews, or for that matter, on Tishabov, any of these times, when you see throngs of Jews, you make, you make a bracha. So Ben Zoma had this vantage point in Harabais, and he made that bracha. But he also did something else. So it says Ben Zoma, this is side to Gumar Brachas, Nafnun Chesam and Aleph, Ro Uchlusas Algav Malas, Algav Malab Harabais. He had this, this vantage point in Harabais where he was able to see the throngs, the multitudes of Jews. So he made this bracha that we talked about, Bor Chacham Harozim. Exactly the meaning of that bracha is not, we don't have time to go into right now. But then he made another bracha. Uboruch, and listen to this bracha. It sounds, at first glance, arrogant. Uboruch sheboruch kol elu, and bless Hashem, who created all of these Jews, all of these people, l'sham sheni, to serve me. He made multitudes of Jews, these thousands and tens of thousands of Jews, all to serve me. So, at first glance, it has a very elitist, sweepingly arrogant statement. And the Rambam, in his Perish Mishnah, in his Hakdoma to his Perish Mishnah, discusses this concept. What was Ben Zoma actually saying? And the Rambam actually was an elitist in that sense. He says the purpose of the world was to have those few people that are close to Hashem, and the purpose of everybody else is to function, to serve these people's needs, but it's not in a very negative, um, arrogant, or uh, conceited fashion. Let's continue vital with the Gemara, and we'll see that although the words of Ben Zoma sound, um, you know, the opposite of humility, actually they are very humble. Is this the Ramam Hakdoman to the Mishnah Brachos? Yes. Yeah, no, the Ramam Hakdoman, no. Hakdoman is uh, to Brachos, to the Seder Zoraim. So the Rambam over there has a very, very interesting uh, um, discussion of this. The Rambam there actually talks about what does it mean that So he takes that Maimur Chazal and he goes into a whole Arichas to explain what does it mean He explains that. And he brings this down to explain this. 
But if we continue with the Gemara, some of it becomes obvious. Brachas, Daftun Ches. On the side too. Look on the side too, on top of the page. Yeah. Yeah. We're now on the second line. Who are you on there? This is what Ben Zoma used to say. Kama Yigiyos Yoga Odoma Rishon At Shemotza Pas Lechol. How much work was involved in Odom Arishan making for himself a slice of bread, a loaf of bread? Shouldn't even say a slice of bread, because for that he needed a knife. What do they say? The greatest invention since sliced bread. But to get bread, Chorash, Zora, Kotzar, Omar, Dosh, Zora, Borar, Vitochan, Herkid, Velosh, Veofa. Basically, goes through all the Malachas Shabbos. All the things involved in Melech HaSapas that he had to go through in order to make bread. The bottom line is, he had to plow, plant, reap, gather, um, thresh, winnow, boyer, grind, sift, knead, bake. And by the way, not only had to do all that, but he needed an oven for that. He had to also make himself an oven. And he also had to make himself fire. Okay, so fire maybe was a gift from Hashem. But what did he have to do to do all that? And if he wanted a slice of bread, he had to invent something to slice bread with. So imagine what's involved in mining iron from the ground and then turning it into a knife. Well, he may have had it off the tree, right? The Eitzadas. In the words of um, the Rambam, if a person would live the life of Mr. Shalach, he wouldn't be able to take care of all of his needs by himself. And then he gives, later on in the Gemara, uh, I'm going to just skip this line, and just go to the part of the next line. What about wearing clothing? What do you have to do for a garment? Again, these are the Malachas of Shabbos that he's mentioning here. I mean, what did he have to do? He had to shear the sheep, comb the wool, he had to uh, spin it, weave it. I mean, what did he have to do to get something to wear? And for all of these things, again here, he uses on both parts of the Gemara, or in the second part, he says, I find all of these all prepared for me. All the nations of the world come to my doorstep to serve me. I wake up in the morning and they're all traveling salesmen. They're all waiting by my door to give me this stuff. Benzoma had, had some means, he had some wealth, and all of these traveling salesmen would come to his door to sell him things, to sell him these products. It's like when you go to the mall. What was Benzoma saying? Benzoma was saying is that how much work is done by so many other people to be able to give me what, you know, you go to a mall and you buy something and the thing came from China and think of all the thousands of people involved in the shipbuilding, in the uh, making the roads for me to get to the mall, the construction people and the architects building the mall and the truckers to gather it, and the people that had to take the, the oil out of the ground and convert it into uh, processed gasoline, and the truck. I mean, what's involved 
in getting one product to me. They're getting an iPod. Besides Steve Jobs and whoever else is involved in the making of an iPod, but to be able to record a shear, how many people are involved in that? And what do I have? I come here, I have my iPod ready, I'm able to record a shear, and where did it all come from? Thousands upon thousands of people were necessary to get them there, and they're all here to serve me. Okay, now what about that statement? They're all here to serve me. What does that mean, all here to serve me? So let's analyze that part of the statement. And for that, we have to go to the next part of the Gemara. He says like this. We're about five lines, six lines from the end of this Gemara. Who are you, Aimer? Another statement of Ben Zoma. And when you put it all together, you get an appreciation of what Ben Zoma was saying. You invite someone to your house. You invite two people to your house. One is a good guest, and one is a bad guest. What's the difference? What does the good guest say? Look how hard the Balabais worked. All for me. Look at all the meat he brought before me. The wine. The cake, the bread, the rolls. All that hard work that the Balabas and the Balabasta did, it was all for me. They did it all for me. What does the bad guest say? What work did the Balabas do? Big deal. I ate one roll. I ate one slice of meat. Big deal. I drank a little bit of his wine. They did it for their family. I was just a guest. So they put another potato into the chong. Big deal. In other words, what's the difference between the good guest and the bad guest? Look, look at their attitudes. Poles apart. Are, are any of them saying something not true? What they're both saying is true. It's true. The Balabas may be set the table, and did all that he did, all the hard work that he did to do the shopping and to bring the food home, and the Balabasta did all that hard work and made the kugel and the cholent and baked the chalas and the bread, all that they did for their own family. I was just an invited guest, so they had to make a bigger challah instead of a smaller challah. They made a bigger you know, thing of meat rather than a smaller one where they threw something, another piece of chicken into the oven. The roll of gefilte fish, they bought a larger size, the challah was larger, the kugel was... What is it, another potato on the chalot? What do they do? They didn't exert themselves much more for me. How much do I owe them? For that little extra exertion? Not a big deal. Maybe they had less leftovers the following week. Right, yeah, I'm doing them a favor. I don't owe them anything for that. And what does the bad guest say? The good guest say? Wow, look at all the stuff they served me in these... Fancy wine goblets and the decanter and the and the crystal and the china and the beautiful tablecloth and the spread and the beautiful challah and the cholent and the kugel and the meat and all for me. Is that arrogance, I ask you? No. It's it's really humility. What he's saying is no, I owe you so much. I'm indebted to you so much for what you've done. But the other guest is also right. All that he did, he did for himself. Okay, yeah, he invited me as a guest. What do I owe him? One guest is viewing it from the vantage point of what did he do for me 
that he had to go out of his way, how much do I owe him for that? And the other guest saying, it's, it doesn't matter what the other person exerted himself, how much benefit did I gain? Hakoros Hatov is to be a connoisseur and to recognize goodness received. Not how much the guy was at a loss and how much money he had to spend extra for me. It has nothing to do with the guy on the giving end, but the fellow on the receiving end. That's the difference between the good guest and the bad guest. What did I receive? Viewed from this vantage point, Benzoma wasn't arrogant or conceited at all. It was really, in a sense, a form of humility. Look how much I owe. Whether I owe the people or whether I owe God, but he was being makir tov. That's the essence of Akkor tov. He recognized the goodness. How many of us think that way? You know, when the Avon lady comes to your door and says, ding dong, Avon, you start thinking, wow, all of that for me, they're bringing you this product. The whole company, uh, whatever it is, Ralph Lauren, all, uh, and it's all coming to my door. You're recognizing goodness. But the Orachra says, ah, you're a nudge. You know, I go to the mall and you're looking for the sale. Who thinks like Benzoma? All the thousands and tens of thousands of people that are involved in bringing the product to market and bringing it to me? Orachra, it's not for me, they're doing it for themselves. It's true, they're doing it for themselves. The Umos HaOlam that he's talking about that come to his door, they're not doing it for Benzoma. That's why it's, if we view what Benzoma says as the height of arrogance, it's only because we have the wrong outlook. Our outlook is, you mean they're intending it for him? What an arrogant person to think that they're doing all of this for him. No, Benzoma wasn't arrogant, he was humble. He's not viewing it, it's irrespective of, it's irrelevant as to why they're doing it. Look at my benefit. Look what I'm gaining. I'm gaining so much from so many people, but that, is, that creates a debt. That's what we said earlier. Once you're makir tov, gratitude flows automatically. Indebtedness results from hakar satov. Indebtedness is not the essence of, it's not the synonymous with hakar satov. Most people say, oh, I'm makir tov, I'm makir tov, I'm makir tov. I'm grateful. I mean, they translate the word hakar satov as gratitude and being grateful. Hakar satov isn't that, it's recognition. Gratitude comes as a result of that, it's a consequence. If I recognize goodness, I appreciate goodness, I become appreciative. But appreciation means recognition at first. From appreciation of recognition comes the appreciation of gratitude and thanksgiving and thankfulness. But you have to first be makatov. So Benzoma is teaching us the attitude of what Hakor Stov is. It's not about what the guy is doing for me. It's about the benefit that I receive from the person. And the fact that we come to such a Gemara and we view Ben Zoma as being, wow, he's standing on the height of Harabais and he sees millions of Jews and he goes, they're all here to serve me. What, a, what an arrogant person. Yeah, that's only because we're always thinking like the Orachra. I mean, they're doing it for me. They're not doing it for me. He's arrogant. But the Orachra is always saying, what are you doing for me? What are you doing that's for me? Well, in that case, no one's really doing anything for me. I don't know anybody anything. Because there's no one out there that's out to work just for me. No one. 
No one out there is working just for me. Who cares about me? The Orach says, I don't owe anybody anything. I don't owe anybody anything. I don't even know God. God is some force in creation that was compelled to lose creation. I don't owe God anything. I don't owe people anything. I don't know. That's the Orach So the Orach automatically has no gratitude to anyone. He's koifer b'toyvosa shal Yosef. Why? Because he's able to calculate. Well, Yosef was the viceroy. What, what, did he, what did he lose on it? He came up with this brilliant idea for Paro, and he was this great administrator and organizer, and he saved Egypt from famine. But look why he did it. He did it all for himself. Yosef did it for himself. Because he is the grand vizier, he was the viceroy, he was... And he brought his family down, and he gave them, you know, cushy jobs, and he gave them luxurious uh, accommodations, and he saved them. He did it all for himself. Asher lo yoda es Yosef. I don't owe Yosef anything. Why? Because his focus and his attitude was the orach ra attitude. So we don't owe him anything. All that the Jews did, they do for themselves. Yeah, they win Nobel Prizes, and they invented the... Uh, polio uh, vaccine and everything else, but they did it for themselves. They're in it for the money. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for the credit. They're in it for the honor. I don't owe them anything, but they're doing it for themselves. Asher lo yoda as Yosef stems from the attitude, what are you doing for me? And if that's the way you're looking at it, you wind up owing nobody nothing. And if you owe nobody nothing, you don't owe God anything either. Because, yeah, God, he created the world. I mean, of course, he enjoys it. It's, it's entertaining for God. It's a recreational activity. He made the world as a recreational activity. So big deal. I'm doing him the favor for being here. What do I owe my parents? They feel the need to, to be parents. More than the calf wants to suckle, the mother wants to give to suckle. I don't owe my parents anything. Because all that they did, they did because they wanted to be parents. I was their plaything. I was their toy. I don't owe them anything. Because you're looking at it as to what they do for me. And since nobody in the world is here just to serve you, you wind up not owing anybody anything. So the Orach Ra doesn't owe anything to anybody in the world. The Orach Tov, on the other hand, looks at it completely differently. He says... I don't care what's in your mind. I care what I received. What is the goodness that I received? I received this, that, the other thing. And you calculate all the benefits that you received. And you say, I'm... And automatically comes the desire to give thanks. Look what my parents did for me. Look what this person did for me. Look what my wife did for me. And you owe so much to so many people because you've received so much kindness. Once you receive so much kindness, you owe a great deal to a lot of people. So Ben Zoma's whole approach was the one of Orach Tov. He's able to therefore go to the Harabais, look at the multitude of Jews and say, look, at, they're all here, just for me. Ben Zoma knew that they're not all there to serve him. But he said, look how much benefit I receive. I owe so much. I have to be so grateful. I owe so much gratitude. I'm so indebted to all of this, and of course the God that created them. That's the essence of what Ben Zoma was saying. God created all of these people, and I benefit from all of them. So how much do I owe them? I owe the trucker for schlepping it here. 
But I owe God for making the trucker and for making these millions of people. I owe each of these millions of people individually, but I owe God for making all these people that I benefit from. Therefore, he had an extremely, tremendously humble approach, which creates a debt of gratitude that's overwhelming, like we say in Nishmas. Right? All the kindnesses that you do. We say that in modem every day. Right? We have so much. Millions, millions upon millions. It's impossible to express our gratitude. That's what we say in the prayer of Nishmas. It's impossible to express all our gratitude, all that we owe. It's impossible. But it all stems from this Gemara of Ben Zoma. That's why I feel that this Gemara is a very key Gemara to understanding what the attitude to HaKor HaTov is. And that is in a nutshell. Look for the benefits you received, not for what was in the mind of the guy that gave it, how much he exerted, but what you received. And that's true HaKor HaTov, where you recognize goodness, and therefore you become indebted as a result, as a consequence of that. How far does this go? Let's take a look now back inside one. And let's go through a number of Gemaras that show us how far this goes. Firstly, briefly, let's just take a quick look at two Midrashim. If you look on the right side, the last two, uh, two of the last pieces, there the Medrash Rabbah, it's taken from Parshas Vo'era. Vayomer Hashem Moshe Moral Aaron, Aaron did the Makkah of, uh, of Dam and Sfardeya. Why not Moshe? Why Aaron? Why did God tell it to, to Moshe that Aaron should do it, not Moshe? Hashem was teaching Moshe a lesson. Don't hit the water that at one time did you a good turn and saved your life. Let Aaron do it, not you. The water, the water saved you. The water um, sheltered you. If the water sheltered you, you have no right to be the one to smite it. Next medrash. To hit it with for the mak of dam to make the water turn to blood or in Sfardeya to bring the frogs. This what, so this medrash of the standard was a Kodesh Baruch that said that not that it was Moshe Rabbeinu. Exactly. This was this this was Hashem telling Moshe. Because typically that's not how we. Right. Learn. That's not, right. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, I'm starting with this medrash for a reason, as you'll shortly see. Next one by Hashem and Moshe, Emoral Aaron, Teis Yotcha, Esmatcha Vahaches Afar Oretz. Same thing with the Kinnim, with the mak of Kinnim. Amr of Tanchum Alei Kodesh Baruch Moshe. It was the dust, the sand that protected you when you put the when you're able to hide the body of the Egyptian. So the first three plagues had to do with Aaron because Moshe should not be the one to bring plagues from water and sand since he owes them a debt of gratitude for the kindness that they did for him. Obviously, we're talking about domain. We're talking about inanimate objects that have no feeling, had no intentions, didn't do anything for Moshe, but Moshe received benefits. So the only way 
that we can understand this concept is that this has nothing to do with what they're doing for you, but rather with benefits that you're receiving. So what's Hashem teaching Moshe? He's saying it would be insensitive on your part to do something that violates the midah of hakoras hatov. And if we're defining hakoras hatov as the ability to see, to recognize, to appreciate goodness, then that applies across the board even to the inanimate objects. Because if you hit them, you're showing a lack of gratitude. Here. But what did the water do? The basket? Right, okay. Let's... This, this is similar to... Uh, let, let's move across the side of the page to the left. The Gemara in Bovakama Dav Tzadik Beis, Amit Beis. Omerlei Rava L'Rabba Barmari Minoha Milsa the Amri Inshi. Where do we get this expression, the common expression that people say, a well that you drink from, when as Rashi explains, a well that you once drank from, even not now, you once drank from, don't throw dirt and mud into that well. Do not oppress or loathe an Egyptian because you were once slaves in his land. Now we're going to talk about the Egyptian aspect of it shortly. But before that, don't throw something into the well that you drank from. You once benefited from it, even not now. You once benefited from it in the past. It's unseemly to throw dirt in it. The image that all of you, I'm sure, have had from, from either um, modern culture or from the movies. Right? L'chaim. You drink. Then you take the cup and you throw it against the wall and smash it. Right? There's this image that you have, you know... Uh, Who does that? Uh, not the kind of people that I know. But there is such an image, right? You drink and then you throw it against the wall you smash it. It's, yeah, if the scotch was bad, maybe. It was black label instead of uh, red label or green label and gold label and blue label. So, what is that? It's trying to create a truna, a nida, of ah, well, I smash it, break it. The opposite is no, appreciate it and give it its due. Not because it needs it, I need it. It's not for the sand and the water and the cup and the well, it's for myself. It's my adinus hanefesh, my sensitivity in my soul that I need it. In fact, this is such a crucial thing. And now let's go back to why, about whether Hashem told Moshe. Go to the bottom right. Yalkut Shmoini, Parshas Matos. Vayishlachos Moshe. Moshe sent in charge of, in Pinchas in charge, to take vengeance against Midian from, um, for what they did by the Jews, by the Benos Moab, right? They caused this plague, and Pinchas was the one that stopped the plague by killing, by killing Zimri. And that plague almost decimated and destroyed Kalei Sof, not for Pinchas's heroic act of Kanois. But the Jewish people were almost destroyed, all because of the advice of the Benos Midian, of the, rather, of the, um, of Bilam and the uh, princes of Midian that hired Bilam, to get the Jews to sin with the Benos Moab, and then ultimately to sin with the idol, with the Baal Peor. And 
people of Midian were like so viciously anti-Semitic, unlike the people of Moab that were scared of the Jews, the people of Midian were motivated by anti-Semitism. And as a result, they had to be destroyed. So Hashem tells Moshe, do this, Nekomnik, Masmi, and it was the last mitzvah Moshe did. The last mitzvah that Moshe did in his life was fulfill the vengeance of Midian because of Achar Thomas, because afterwards you're going to die. And Moshe willingly and um, enthusiastically fulfilled this mitzvah. But it says that when it came to fulfilling the mitzvah, Moshe didn't do it himself. He sent Pinchas in charge. It says, Vayishlach osam Moshe. Moshe sent them. Says the Alkut, Didn't Hashem tell Moshe, do it yourself? Now, of course, we have a principle of Shlucha Shalad and Kamosa, that you could send an agent, a Shliach, and it fulfills your obligation. You could fulfill your obligation through a Shliach. But we also know that the optimal way of fulfilling any mitzvah is yourself, not through a Shliach. Why wouldn't Moshe try to fulfill the mitzvah? the optimal way, rather than the Lomdisha way. You know, okay, I'll fulfill God's mitzvah through a shliach. I mean, Hashem says, you, I could do it with a shliach. Shlucha shal odam, kemosa, it's like himself. But why not do it mitzvah yosem v'shlucha, do the command of God enthusiastically. Says Moshe, Allah, is God will be made in Omar, Eino bedin shani meitzer lemisha osli toiva. It would be wrong, it's not bedin, that I should do and cause, and bring about this death and vengeance to those that one time, one time, many years earlier, 40 years earlier, did this kindness and sheltered me. That's the point. That's, that's the Eid of Bedin. That's the Eid of Bedin. He learned from Hashem himself. He didn't say send Pinchas. Ah, no, no. Teretz is, but he understood that it must be Aliyah Shliach. I'm fulfilling it. So Moshe made this Kalvachomer Einel Bedin. Not Kalvachomer. He made this Joshua. Where? Because Hashem told him himself by do it through Aaron by the Makkah. So Hashem taught him that. That's why it was important that Hashem is the one. You asked me before. We normally understand Moshe did it. It was from Hashem. So Moshe learned the lesson from Hashem that when it comes to a clash between the Midah of HaKor Satov and fulfilling a mitzvah the optimal way, Hakar Satov wins out, and you do it through a shliach. When it comes to midos, versus the direct, literal fulfillment of something, or doing it through a lambdis, where you don't do it directly yourself, midos wins out so over the chumrah. Eino Bedin here in this Yafet Shemona is referring to a kalachoma that Moshe made from what Hakar Baruch Hu told him. Apparently, yes. That's the way I want to learn in this Yalkut. That that's what the Alkut is saying, that Moshe himself learned it from Hashem. That even though Hashem told me that, but he has to reinterpret it. It gave him the right of reinterpretation. Now, he's, he had to fulfill God's word, but he reinterpreted in the less literal fashion, and he had to do it in the less optimal way, not doing it shluchosh, uh, he did shluchosh al kamosa rather than mitzvah yosem shlucho. He learned it from Kodesh Baruch himself. So that's how far Hakar Satov goes. Yeah, sure. At the end of the day, the same thing is going to be accomplished. Midian is going to be destroyed. Right. At the end of the day, the water is being hit. And at right, the end right. Of the day, the, the right. sand is being hit. Yeah. So it's not shot that Hashem says that because you receive good, that you shouldn't give bad back. Right. But rather, right. that, that you shouldn't be the direct means by which this occurs. Yeah. 
Rebellion Dessler in Michtav Melio dwells on some of these issues in the sense that why wouldn't, you know, you're doing a Kiddush Shem Shemayim Barabbim by making a nace, why shouldn't that override it? The Teretz is because the person himself needs it for his own sensitivity. And therefore you have to accomplish what has to be accomplished. And the bad people have to be destroyed. Even the Mitzrim, we said, Lo Sasav Mitzri. Lo Sasav Mitzri is still has to be balanced with the fact that the Egyptians were drowned in the sea. But the meat there are certain the media kind of um, impedes certain aspects of it because you require this adinus hanefesh on account of not violating some things. It has to be done with a certain sensitivity. You know, it's very similar. We make kiddush on wine. We cover the chal not to embarrass, it, but we still make kiddush on wine. It has to be done, but rather than do it with that vulgarity, the am novel. We said am novel is lack of a type. A novel is a lack of a type. You don't take that glass and smash it. You don't smash it. It's a vulgarity. So you have to do it with a certain sensitivity. Does that mean that when we kill a molek, we should try to... I don't know. I mean, these are all issues that we have to dwell on when Jews do these things. We don't do it like Vikings. We go into battle, let's die with our boots on, death and glory and gore. It's not about the gore and the bloodshed. That's what we're saying. Hakarastov is the same thing. It's not about the other guy doing it and giving it. It's about the receiver on the receiving end benefiting from it. That's the way we have to view it. But now let's take a look at another very fascinating medrash that teaches us how far Hakarastov goes. Medrash in Shemos. When Moshe comes to Midian, so the daughters of, uh, of uh, Yisro were saved by Moshe from the people at the well that came to chase them away. So they come back to uh, their father, and they say, we were saved by an Egyptian. Ish Mitzri Hitzilonu. An Egyptian saved us. Why Moshe was dressed like an Egyptian? So one shot in the Medrash is that he was dressed like an Egyptian, so they thought he was an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. Moshe. You know, we all imagine Moshe made with this long white beard and everything else, but apparently the daughters of him, the daughters of Yisrael thought he was an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. However, there's another shot in the Medrash. I guess that shot goes, uh, he didn't look like an Egyptian. He couldn't have looked like an Egyptian. He had to have been wearing a strimal at the time. It's pace. How could he was taken for an Egyptian? A guy? He looked like a yid. He was wearing his frock. He couldn't have looked like an Egyptian. He had to have a, a strimal and pace. So what's the other shot? Well, we'll start actually from the second shot. Oh, we'll start from the beginning. Uh, bottom left medrash. What does it mean? He's a mitzri. So one shot is mitzri He was a Jew. He was dressed like an Egyptian. Now can't mean that Moshe was dressed like an Egyptian. Ish Mitzri. So now the Medrash is a very interesting Moshul here. Moshul Echod Shenoshchoi Ha'orud. Orud is some sort of a reptile. Bites a person. And as a result, he wants to, uh, he needs water somehow to save him. For Yerotz Litein Raglov B'mayim. Nosnan Lenar. He goes down to the river edge to put his wound in the water. And he sees a child or he sees a person drowning. And he saves the person from drowning. Thank you, thank you, you saved my life. If not for you, I would have drowned. Thank you for being here to save me. The person says, you know what? 
didn't save you. That snake, that reptile that bit me, causing me to run down, that's what saved you. That's what saved you. The Benois Midian, the Benois rather, Benois Yisrael, were thanking Moshe. Thank you, Yashukayach, for saving me. Thank you. Amr Moshe, you know what? This is a long process. That Egyptian that I killed and caused me to have to flee Paro saved you. What brought Moshe here? Ish Mitzvi Shehorag. Clearly the Egyptian that Moshe killed was a bad person that deserved to die. Didn't deserve much of a Yashikayach. Nevertheless, this teaches us the exact same lesson. It has to do with what benefited you. And how far does that go? It goes back to the cause and the cause of the causes. It's a pill. That's a, that's a pill. Uh, well, yeah, it's interesting. How bad do you go on this? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to know how far back you go. Did we say in really Moshe Rabbeinu is giving a car to to a certain extent, I think what, it's, what it really means... Don't pro- give thanks to me. Right. I, I'm, I'm sent here because I had a different issue. It's not... Uh, right. In other words, it wasn't totally me. The person who is receiving the benefit is being told by the other person who's humble, saying, I don't deserve all the credit. Ultimately, the credit goes back to Hashem, is really what it means. But it's, it's an interesting idea. I mean, something which we have to... Tzorachim, we have to dwell on this a little bit more to, to properly understand this. So it's like a high God, yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, let's take one more medrash, going back to this idea of Midian. Hashem tells Moshe, go to Egypt and save the Jews. And the medrash records a dialogue that's a pella. This is the second medrash on the page, on the left. Medrash Rabbah. B'shoshem Allah Kodesh Baruch Hu v'atol paro uh, the, the, on, on side one, left side, Sorry. second. Yes, Shmos Rabbah, Medish Rabbah. So Hashem sends Moshe and says, let me send you to Paro in order to free the Jews. And Moshe puts up a protest here. Omer Loi, Rebbein Oilam, Eini Yochel. I can't do this. Mepnei Shekibalni Yisroi Uposach Libeso. Yisra opened up his house to me. He was machnas oirch. Vani imoy keben. And he treats me like a son. Actually, at this point, a son-in-law. Umishu poiseach. Pischel l'chaveroi. And someone that takes you in to his home. Nafshoi chayvloi. I owe you my life. V'chein ato moitzebel yol. B'sho sholach eitzel. Tzrafis. Ho'almonam meis b'no. Hischel mischanin. V'omar. Hagamal ho'almona asher ani. Elio was pleading with Hashem on behalf of this Almona that lost her child for Tchias Amesim. Hashem listened to Elio and he restored the life of this child. Extend this even further. 
You owe a debt of gratitude to such a person more than your parents. What does that mean? We know that when Elio, who was the Rebbe of Elisha, when he was taken up to heaven in the fiery chariot, Elisha was able to gain from Elio a double portion of spirit of Ruach HaKadosh of Nevuah. Now, once he has that ability of Tchiyas HaMesim, why did he go and revive his dead parents or grandparents? <coughs> Why did he use that power and he apparently used it up on reviving the child of this of the woman that hosted him? Why did he why did he bring to life his parents? And if Pinchas was Elio, who were Pinchas's parents? Elazar, right? Grandparents, Aaron. Elio should have gone and revived Aaron from the dead. He felt this debt of gratitude to his Balachsanya, and therefore, I can't. I cannot go until he gives permission. Moshe goes back to Yisrael gets permission, and only then does he embark on Hashem's mission. This is even a bigger power, because here he's protesting the whole mission to Hashem by saying, I can't go until I get permission. Now, what this tells us, is the reason why I'm bringing this down, is because it's very important to understand, going back to just a little bit, let's digress back to Thanksgiving. Someone asked me yesterday, what about the fact that the United States did a number of things that were bad? Such as during World War II. So did the, so so the Mitzvah. That's my point. I didn't get to this yesterday because we didn't get to these Midrashim. That's my point. What does that mean? The Egyptians oppressed the Jews. They killed the Jews. They threw their babies into the water. Egyptians were, I guess, like Nazis. But nevertheless, there's a Mitzvah of Los Mitzvah. Now again, a Mitzvah is not accepted with open arms into the Jewish people. But there's a difference between Ammon and Moab and Mitzri. And Los Asav Mitzri is a, an Adinus Hanefesh, a sensitivity that we have to develop not to load an Egyptian too much, because remember we owe a debt of gratitude to Gero Now, the Gero of the Egyptians was certainly self-serving. Their intention was not to host the Jews because they loved the Jews originally. But in the days of Yosef, it was all self-serving for themselves. They benefited from Yosef. Paro thought, wow, we're going to get 12 or 11 more Yosefs. Come here. He benefited from Yaakov coming. Yaakov came, the famine stopped. This is great. Yaakov comes, the famine stops. Yosef, his brothers, they're going to be great for the, for the Egyptians. The Jews are good. Just like throughout all Jewish history, whenever the kings of Europe invited Jews into their lands, it was because of the benefit that they expected to get from the Jews. I don't know how many of it was ever done. I guess you could make a historical study. How many of them were done truly altruistically because they felt the Jews were being persecuted and they wanted to save the Jews. Maybe it might have happened. It might have happened. That some did it out of you know, kindness and out of uh, some sort of feeling of altruistic you know, hosting. But most of the time, more often than not, it was clearly self-serving. 
Jews were good bankers, finance. They, they usually were able to enrich the countries that they were in. So therefore, different countries invited Jews in because they would be enriched. When the Spanish expelled the Jews, Spain, which had its golden era, started declining. Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and all these other places, let's invite the Jews in and gain the benefits that Spain is losing. It's very remarkable when you think about it. The Egyptians did so many bad things to us. And I should punish the Egyptians. You know, it does say that um, it says that Kodesh Baruch says that so Barishlam says, I'm sorry, he says that you will be gared there for 400 years and they will oppress you. So it was predicted that they're going to oppress us and they're going to persecute us. Nevertheless, when they took us in, they took us in in a form that was beneficial to us and therefore we always eternally owe them a debt of gratitude for what they did when they hosted us. So, that yes, we do have to recognize the United States' shortcomings, just like we recognize the e- Egypt's shortcomings. And when we can do something about it, we should. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't protest when the United States of America does something um, that's bad for the Jews, such as during World War II or such as what they're doing now vis-a-vis Israel. Clearly, we should protest and do whatever we can to put pressure. But nevertheless, we should never forget the fact that we owe them a debt of gratitude. As Ramesha Feinstein said, it's a Malchus Shal Chesed. It's a Medina Shal Chesed. They took the Jews in. We gained very, very many benefits from them. We owe them. Reb Chaim held like this regarding the Zionists. Now, this, of course, gets into a whole touchy topic. But... Clearly, there were many people that are anti-Zionist for good reason, and they view the state of Israel in a very, very negative way. Rabbi Chaim said, but you always have to be makertayv to what they did that's beneficial to us. They did certain things that were very beneficial. They built Tyre. You have to be makertayv. Now, those people that try to deny that goodness that the Zionists did are losing the sensitivity of Hakar Satov. Hakaras Atov requires Bilt that Bilt even Bilt what? Bilt well, they give money. They give money to yeshivas. They allow it. Now they, they do. Well, yeah. No, no. I didn't say Zionist built Torah. The Zionist state of Israel allowed well, Torah they, to be built, they and they encouraged some of it, and they did certain well, beneficial things. They say about welfare and food stamps for all the column or whatever that you know benefit from that in the United States. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's my point. My point is that you can't really say that the United States does so many good things for us, and at the same time, deny that the state of Israel does anything for us. Because the same benefits that you get here, now, of course, it's a trickier situation with the state of Israel, because you're getting into hashkafa issues, and avod, according to Satmar, there is an avodazar aspect. And Satmar doesn't believe in taking any money from them. Brisk doesn't take any money from them. For that reason, you don't want to take money from these kind of people that you want to completely uh, ostracize and totally negate. So, bottom line, you, uh, you should... Celebrate Thanksgiving here or not? Well, on Thanksgiving, the bottom line is you have to recognize the debt of gratitude that we should give to the United States of America collectively. Doesn't mean to Obama. Doesn't mean to any particular person. The power of Mitzrayim and the Egyptians that were oppressing and killing the Jews had to die and should be killed. And Moshe Rabbeinu did kill the Egyptians. 
that was oppressing the Jews, right? That particular Egyptian that was hitting a Jew was killed by Moshe. But Hashem says that collectively, that the Jews collectively owe a debt of gratitude to, to the Egyptian people as a whole. So we have to recognize on Thanksgiving, perhaps, maybe any time of the year, it doesn't matter. But the point is, you can't live in a state of denial. It's, it's the same thing as, as, as the state of Israel is that we're talking about. If you don't take money from them, if you want to be like Satmar, Satmar is extremely consistent. They view the state of Israel as minus. The state of Israel, the secular state of Israel, the government, every aspect of it is minus. It's avod zara. Have nothing to do with them. Don't vote. Don't partake in elections. And don't take money from them. They're wrong. They're avod zara. Minus. Avoid them. Like the play. Terrible. They're consistent. On the other hand, to take money from them on the one hand and to take advantage of them and allow Torah to be built and at the same time say, what do you do for me? That's wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't recognize the bad things that they do or did. So that goes into, again, I don't want to get into the issue. Are they doing more bad than good, more good than bad? I don't want to get into that issue. That's, that's the issue about Zionism versus non-Zionism or anti-Zionism or whatever you want to call it. That's a completely different issue. I don't want to get into that. But there's an inconsistency in being philosophically anti-Zionistic, which, which is fine if you want to be philosophically anti-Zionistic, but to take money and to build institutions and to take advantage and partake of all of their benefits from them, whether it's garbage or whatever it is, and at the same time try to desensitize your soul to the benefits that you're getting from them. And you owe them those benefits, because it's a desensitivity of the soul to not recognize that. So now, let's get away from that issue, because that's a much touchier issue. But Rebchaim Shemulev, it's how like that, that you owe them HaKor Satov for the benefits and for what they do for you, that's good. But, we get to the United States of America, it's a little easier to deal with. They're Goyim, we don't expect from Goyim more than what Goyim are, and they did us kindness, and we owe them gratitude for that. And we owe the United States of America. So if there's a low society, then certainly all the more so, we owe gratitude so to the United States. How much you go back? Okay, let's talk about how much you go back now. For, for, for example, if you said that, you know, to eat uh, what you eat, you need to grind and this and this. Right, and right, and right. How far back? How far does the grama of the grama ishmitzvi So let's, let's take, go back to Bikurim, which we began with. Bikurim teaches us a little bit about how far back we go. The farmer is bringing wheat, and he's living hundreds of years after the events of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and he starts off with Arami, Oyved, Ovi, Vayered, Mitzrayim, Vayogor, Shem, What's going on? He has to go back and re-encapsulate the whole history of Klal Yisrael, the whole history of how far back Klal Yisrael goes, all to express gratitude for the wheat that he's bringing now. It's amazing how far back he's going to the very beginning. Jews to this day, we have one of the Sheish's heroes is remembering Tzias Mitzrayim. That's 3,300 years ago. Jews have long memories. And when it comes to Akkar Satov, you have to have long memories. You have to have long memories when it comes to Akkar Satov. That's one of the things you see. Now briefly, what we see from the... Yeah, this, the is, there, is there a source here that talks about that, that that's Mishim Akkar Satov? Well... 
I, that's Pashup Shah. That's, that's Pashup Shah. No, no, that's because Gero is about at one time. That, that, that's Pashup Shah on that. There's an interesting Ramban. The Ramban says the reason why Loyovo Amoni Umawavi Bekal Hashem, why an Amoni and Umawavi is not allowed into. So the Pasik says, because there are two, two things. They hired Bilam and Loikodmu. It's been so when they went out in the midbar and they didn't greet you with. The, so it sounds like the midah that's lacking from Amon and Moab is the sensitivity of uh, of Chesed and kindness and Hachos Orchim. Ramban says it a little differently. Ramban says it comes from a lack of Akarasatov. What's Akarasatov? Amon and Moab came from Lot. Lot, the Bnos Lot. Lot was saved by Avram. Avram saved Lot. And they don't have Hakor Satov to the Jewish people, to Avram Avinu. They lack Hakor Satov. That's what disqualifies them from the Jewish people. Because the quality of being a Jew is Hakor Satov, as we said before. The word Jew is Yehudi. Yehudi. A Jew says, Moda'ani. It's like saying, I'm a Jew. I'm about Thanksgiving. If they show such a Kfiyas Tov, such a lack of hakoras atov, where they're kofui tov, then they can't be part of the Jewish people. That's what the Ramban says is the reason for the mitzvah of Oyovo Amoni Moavi Bekal Hashem, because they lack the meat of hakoras atov to Avram Avinu that saved Lot their father. By being kofui tov, they can't, they're disqualified from entering the Jewish people forever. Unlike the Egyptians, that's not forever because of this bad meat. Now, let's encapsulate what we just learned now. How far does Hakar Satov go? So number one, Hakar Satov we see has to do with benefits that you receive. It has to do with what you receive and not what you do. And not what they intended. Secondly, Hakar Satov goes back even the causes of the causes of the causes. They're a grama. You have to make Tov. Hakar Satov extends backwards in time. And that's why I emphasized earlier with Rashi. says, don't throw um, dirt into the well if you at one time benefited from it. That's what Shem told Moshe. You at one time benefited from the water, don't do the mark on the water. You at one time benefited in the past. Anything that you received from the past benefit, you have to, you have to um, be marked tov to. Now, what we see from here is that Akkor Satov is dependent on benefits that the recipient receives, not on the intention of the one doing the Akorastov. We see this now from five different places that we've, that we've explored. The Gemara and Brachas that teaches us what the Orach Tov versus the Orach Ra, that I think is really the embodiment of this concept. The Medrus we see by Ish Mitzri Hitzilonu, that they were saved by the Orud and by the Mitzri, the cause of the causes. The matters that we see by the Makos through Aaron and not through Moshe. Another place where we see it is that we give treif meat to the dogs. Why? Why? Because when the Jews came out of Egypt, they didn't bark at us. Dogs had nothing in mind when they did that. Yeah, either or Hashem closed their mouths, but we recognize what we received. They didn't bark at us. According to one Pshat the Gemara, the reason for the mitzvah of Pidyan Petr Hamar 
is because of the donkeys that when we came out of Mitzrayim with that we're laden with all of our belongings. So there's a mitzvah of Petr Chamor, even though the Chamor is a behemoth meah. Obviously the donkeys were literally dumb animals that just did what they did. But we see what Akkor's Tov is. And we see that the mitzvah, Los Sav Mitzri, Kigiri Sabarzo, was not dependent on the intention of the Egyptians, or when they did it, it goes back in time, and it's irrespective of their intent. So the intent is irrelevant. It's not dependent on the intent. Now, what, what I would like to do in a few minutes is one more thing, just to finish off this topic. The, oh no, one very more important um, Gemara. Relationships. And this now ties in so well with what we're talking about. Husband and wife. Husband and wife. Famous Gemara in Brachas Daf Samach Gimel, if you look in, in side 2, Rabchia have a komitsarle de bitu. Rabchia had a bad wife. She caused him a lot of pain and aggravation. Now, this is something that's very important because we can all relate to it. Because as much as we talk about Hakaras Atov and this and that, when it comes down to it, and you're living in a house with parents or children or a wife, all you see is the, is the bad. You don't see the good. And Rebbechia had such a wife. The Gemara says his nephew Rav also had such a wife. He would ask for pea soup, she gave him bean soup. He would ask for, you know, whatever it is. She did the opposite of what he wanted. She did it to cause him pain and agony. People have wives that aggravate them. Aggravate them. And there are definitely um, wives out there that, 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 that cause people to suffer. The Gemara over there in the Yuvam Tav Samuel talks about that. How it's a, it could be a fate worse than death. Gehenna. A good wife is great, but worse than death is a bad wife. So there is such a thing. And the Gemara discusses that kind of a thing. But the Gemara then brings down the following thing. Rav, we said, had a bad wife and caused him a lot of pain and suffering. But his uncle, Rebchia, who was a disciple of Rebuda Nasi, also had this situation. And Rav tells his uncle, you know, you put up with her. But not only did Rebchia put up with her, the Gemara brings down, Rebchia have a komitsar debit to his wife, always caused him aggravation. Yet, he have a mashkech midi, whenever he found something to give as a gift. Tsarele besudre, he would gift wrap it. In those days, there was no such thing as gift wrapping, but there was something like that, which is, that's what he did. He not only bought her gifts and brought her gifts, he would wrap them up, gift wrap them. Umaisinan, he brought it to her. Omerle Rav, now we would think that maybe he's trying to win her affection in the way that she should become better. But apparently that's not the case. Omerle Rav, Vokomitsarle Lamar, I mean, why are you buying her gifts when she's such an aggravating wife to you? Omerle, and now look how this fits in so well with all that we've been learning. Dayenu Shemagadles Bonenu, Umatsilais Aison Minachet. It's enough. What do I mean? It's enough. It's enough that they raise our children and they save us from sin. In other words, what he's saying is that every wife has a minimal function that they do. And that is 
assuming there's marital relations there, otherwise there's no marriage. And they raise the children. He says, that's enough. That's enough of a reason to owe her hakor satayv and to buy her gifts. It's a minimal amount. It's a mashu. And not only that, but based on the way we're saying is, what's motivating her for that? Is she raising the children to do me the favor that I don't have to raise the children? She's doing it because of the kid or for herself. She's doing it because of her motherly instinct. She's certainly not doing it for me. She's doing it because of her maternal you know, desire, her maternal instinct. And why does she save me from sin? She needs it also, assuming that. You know, it's like the Olaf, it's the best Olaf. Exactly. That's the point. That's what I'm saying. It fits in and ties into all that we learned. Why does a woman who's married have marital relations with her husband? It's for her as well. It's considered not Sarah and Inui. She's doing it for herself. But it doesn't matter. The benefit that the husband accrues from his wife is these two things that at a minimum, I would say practically all wives provide. That's enough for Korsatov. So again, we see the idea of Korsatov for a minimal small amount as well as irrespective of the person's intent. You gain that benefit. So human relationships... And husband and wife relationships are very dependent on this thought as well that we've been discussing. Now, I'd like to maybe just do one more thing. Only because of the fact that I have a chiddush on this, which I'd like to share with you. What's the chiddush? Sefer HaChinuch talks about, because this kind of ties in everything that we've been doing over the past two classes on this topic. The mitzvah kibud ave'en. Mitzvah kibud ave'en. So if you look in the Sefer HaChinuch, he says as following, You owe a debt of gratitude, and you owe this kindness to those that did you good things and favors and kindnesses. That's at the heart of Kibbut novel. Notice he uses the word novel, which is the word that the Ramban uses, for a person that lacks hakor satayv, umisnaker, and to act as a stranger, and to deny the kofri tayva, not to be a kofri tayv, not to be a maker tayv, not a kofri tayv. Shazu mido ra umuusa betachlis lefneyalakim. This is the worst of midas before God, manoshim and humans, as we said earlier. The mid of hakor satayv, and its opposite, a kofri tayv, is straddles philosophy and psychology, it straddles by Odom Lechavero and by Odom Lemokum. You owe a debt of gratitude to your parents that brought you to this world. And therefore you're indebted to them to do whatever you can for them. Because they brought you here. Furthermore, we could assume that they raised you, and when you were young at least, they did a lot of things to rear you and to raise you. And when you develop this meat of this sensitivity, you automatically reach to the level of appreciating Hashem, who is the cause of the causes. So now what do we understand from this? We said you owe a little bit even the smallest amount of kindness. And again, going back to what we talked about last time, we recapsulated this time, 
is that hakarsatov is a sensitivity like a gourmet of food or a connoisseur of the art and appreciation to learn to appreciate goodnesses. And that's really what all those Midrashim were about. To appreciate this kindness, that goodness, the Oirach Toiv. A Jew is about learning to appreciate goodness. Toiv, Makir Toiv. We should become experts in goodness appreciation. That's number one. Be an expert in goodness appreciation. But we also learned that part of that is even for minimal goodness. That we're able to look, look, and see even minimal goodness and appreciate it. We also learned that you got to go back and back and back, both in terms of time and in terms of cause and effect. Ish Mitzri, the Arud, the this, the that, the well, the water, the Korim, going back and back in time to the cause and the cause of cause. And what he's saying, therefore, if you do that, you understand what your parents did for you, and then you understand who your parent really is, the Big Bang, so to speak, Hashem Himself. So therefore you understand that everything that you get is you then mock your toif to Hashem. So it's important. So without the human interaction of HaKoros HaToyf to Bnei Adam, you will never develop this appreciation to Hashem. And as we said, the essence of knowledge of God is only not through Hashem Himself, but through the deeds of Hashem. And for that you have to cultivate the meat of HaKoros HaToyf. And then once you understand that, you understand that, and, and that's what we say, you got to be able to go back to the cause and the causes of cause, as well as to the original cause. And therefore it goes back, your makir toiv to Hashem, who is the sibas, hasibas, the cause of causes, going back and back, all the way to Adam Rishon, the Big Bang, so to speak. And all that he does for you every single day, like we say, Nishmas and Modim for every moment of the day. He gives you health. We say, right? Even one hour. We, we need Hashem for every hour of the day for our health. The intelligence that he gives us. This will then make you more careful and more sensitive to what you owe to Hashem and your avodas Hashem to keep the Torah. So this becomes the source and the essence of all the Torah. Now, here's my Chiddush. What we're seeing over here is that Hakor Satov, Ben Odom Lechavero, and Hakor Satov to Hashem becomes one and the same. It merges. As it says, Kol HaKoyfer B'Toyvus Chavero, L'Besoyf, goes together, one and the other. When you think about it, what is the mitzvah kibud avein? Is it a ben olam lechavero mitzvah or a ben olam lemakom? The truth is, it's the last of the dibros of the aseres hadibros of ben olam lemakom, and it's really the beginning of ben olam lechavero. Now, at first glance. We think it's the first of the Ben Adam Lechavera mitzvahs, which means that the first four mitzvahs are Ben Adam Lumakum, the first four commandments, and the next six are Ben Adam Lechavera, the first one being Kipudavein. However, there's two luchos. One of the luchos is Ben Adam Lumakum, the first luach. The second luach is Ben Adam Lechavera. Kipudavein is the last of the Ben Adam Lumakum. 
Although, sequentially, it seems to be the first of the Beinadim L'chavero. So what does that tell us? It straddles both. It's the, on the Luach of Beinadim L'mokom, because it's about Hakor Satov, which goes back and back to Hashem. It's the beginning of Beinadim L'chavero, because it's Beinadim L'chavero. It's both. It merges. It merges the Beinadim L'chavero and the Beinadim L'mokom. It's a fusion of sorts. It becomes both straddling and bridging and it, it overlaps. It's the overlap. It's the convergence of the two. It's a fusion between them. And that's because that's exactly what it is. It's about Hakar Satov. Because what you do vis-a-vis people, and what you do vis-a-vis Hashem, there's an interesting Gemara. And Gemara, you know, how far does Kibbutz Av aim go? So it's the same thing. Gemara in uh, Kedushin Aflamad Alf discusses the famous story of Doma ben Nesina, how much Kibbutz Av he gave to his parents. That seems to be remarkable. Way beyond the call of duty. And the Gemara discusses other examples of Kibbutz Av how much you owe your parents. Again, going back to, to the minimal amounts of what they might have done for you, you owe them. It goes back to Hashem the same way. But the Gemara says a very interesting thing over there. It says, Yoducha how all the nations of the world praise Hashem or admit or acknowledge Hashem. So the Gemara says, when they first heard Hashem they said it's self-serving to Hashem. Eh, not a big deal. When they came to Kibbutz Aim, they said, oh, they like that commandment, and then they were made on all the rest. Even Anochi Hashem. What that's telling you is this merging of Kibbutz Av'eim, of Ben Adam al which the nations of the world recognized, thereby allowing them to recognize the Anochi Hashem mm-hmm. Turns out that this is the Tukuchos merging as one. The Kibbutz Av'eim becomes both Ben Adam al as recognized by the Umas Olam and Malchai Arts, but they also saw in this the key to understanding our relationship to Hashem. So Kibbutz Av'eim becomes both. It becomes the bridge between but it teaches us that Hakor Satov is really overlaps both. It's all together, one and the same. Hakor Satov becomes the key to our service to Hashem. Rashi says, the Gemara in Shabbos, hey, is the foundation that is the foundation of the Torah. It says Rashi, why? Because who's the Reach, who's the true Reach Hashem? So it comes out that Vahafta Sashem Lokecha and Vahafta Lareach Kamocha, which is Reach's Benodom Chavero. You can't get a mitzvah that more embodies the concept of Benodom Chavero more than Vahafta Lareach Kamocha. But Rashi says it's one and the same. It's the foundation of the Torah. Turns out that Akkor Satov is the foundational midah, not the foundational mitzvah. It's the foundational midah. To both Ben Adam Lechavero and to Ben Adam Lamokam. And that's why Voracious, Bishvil Bikurim, Niva Olam, the world is created because this is the foundational mitzvah. It's the essence of all Avoda, Avodas Hashem, and Akar Stov to Bnei Adam as well. What we therefore see from the Sefer Achinuch is that the Ein of Hakor Satoiv to Bnei Adam merges with the Ein of Hakor Satoiv to Hashem Isbach. It's all one thing. And that's what we see from Rashi. In the Gemara Shabbos, Daf Lamed Hey, as well, that which is the site of Kol Kula, is also emerging of Reiacha, which is Hashem Yisbarach, who is your true 
Re'acha with Bnei Adam. So it turns out that Hakor Satoyim becomes the soy, the foundation of the entire Torah. Both Bnei Adam L'chavero and Bnei Adam L'mokom. And that's why the Mitzvah Kibud Ha've'en is that merging mitzvah. It's this merging mitzvah because it fuses the two areas of the Torah of Bein Odom L'chaver and Bein Odom L'mokom with one concept. One overriding concept is able to merge Bein Odom L'chavero with Bein Odom L'mokom. And that concept is the concept of, of Hakor Satoiv. So therefore by being the fifth of the Dibris, and by being at the end of the first of the Luchos, it becomes the Dibris that begin Ben Adam with the end of the Dibris of Ben Adam Lumakum.